0: a few months ago, I was invited to Major League Hacking to talk about my book. What I basically did was condense the book down to 30 minutes and then take Q&A. This is the first time I presented it to college students. So there are a lot of questions around job hunting and career prospects. So enjoy. Uh, I can just get going with my uh, prepared slides. It's going to take me like half an hour-ish and then we can do half an hour of questions. Does that sound good? And then yeah, just like Feel free to pause me if, like, there's any te- technical difficulties. or anything. This is something that I never thought I would write about or specialize in. It essentially was an outcome of my blogging and, like, people uh, really responding to some of the stuff that I've written for them. And it's essentially, like, the meta code stuff around code that you learn and you, as you go along. that. Uh, nobody teaches you like w- when you, you tend to think about coding careers, uh, like your career as a software developer as just about code when really like it's maybe 25% about code and, and there's a lot of other stuff uh, around that. So this is what I ended up doing between jobs. Like I wrote essentially like an, a list of essays that became a book and that's the whole idea. And I was invited to 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 do a talk with you guys about it. So I'm going to share what I have right now. And I would love to go into further detail because there's just too much to go into it with you in 30 minutes. So I'm Swix. I also go by Sean. I used to used to have a career in finance. Changed careers in 2017. Did a bootcamp instead of like a proper CS degree. Went into Two Sigma, Netlify, and now, now I just recently joined AWS. And we already talked about the other stuff. One of the, I guess, one of my other roles, if you're into front end development at all, is that I'm a React R slash React JS subreddit moderator. And I think we're about to hit 200,000 subscribers tomorrow, so that's pretty exciting as well. So. What this is, what this attempt is, I just want to situate this among the other advice and the other books that you've heard about. As seen, Uh, a lot of books are very sort of point point in time solutions. Essentially, like they'll target like learn to code, or like crack the coding interview, or like solve the algorithm design, or like do do your great resume, or write about clean code. And 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 so these are like just very point in time solutions, but they don't really help you with the transition steps. And so. What I essentially tried to do with this book was essentially lay out things which principles, which are th- basically like always on default decisions, strategies, which are like which help to help you decide based on one-off big, uncertain, irreversible decisions, and then tactics, which are things that you use frequently throughout your career. And so that's a way that we're gonna break it down. And and yeah, so so basically like there's four parts to to what we, to how we, to how I break it down. And the first is career guide. And what, one of my obsessions is the OSI layer. I think if you're doing a lot of tech interviewing, I think that's one of the first models that you'll, you'll come come across from essentially like the network layer all the way up to applications. And I, I don't remember what the other five layers are, but I was always thinking like, what if there's an OSI layer for humans as well? So instead of just protocols and, and data, we can also talk about how humans form a chain of, of value from machines all the way to end users. So we have here the entire universe of coding careers going from, I guess, people who work the closest of hardware operating system devs or uh, embedded or IoT devs, all the way up to people who don't actually code technically, traditionally, if you think about that. But they might be considered no code, low code. They might muck of settings, which have some sort of conditional logic, whatever. Um, these are, that's the mental framework. Most of us developers are actually going to live around here between applications for the front end and services for the back end. If you are, if you aspire to be more of like an infrastructure or cloud person, you might work in the lower layer on the product on the sort of platform level. And that's how I split things. You may have a different split, but I think it's good to have a mental model because the way that you interview or, or plan your career for each of these levels is very different from each other. So I think that's an also uh, interesting mental model to have when you approach these things. Next, this is more about the job job searching thing. Quite frankly, if since all of you are in the MLH fellowship, I don't think this applies to you at all because you're gonna uh, sail through your job hunting task. But I think I, I, I recommend this blog post from Haseeb Qureshi, where he talks about like the mathematics of job hunting, and it's essentially the same as the birthday problem where you don't actually need uh, 365 people in the room to have a good chance of two people having the same birthday. You actually need, because, because the probabilities compound, same, reason, same reasoning for applications and because you only need uh, one job offer out of all the applications that you send out. So that's kind of job hunting advice 101. I know it's very simple numbers matter right the other thing i think to think about when it comes when it comes to job hunting especially for new grads and people who are just like getting their first experiences without a network is that you can choose a wide range of strategies between narrow and, and I guess, wide. <laughs> Some people go as far as as high as 200 to 300, and for me, that I, I I prefer to do nine, prefer to do a more narrow search. And it's really up to you the kind of search strategy that you choose. But just be aware that obviously, if you spread yourself out very thin, then you're not going to do a very high quality application on each one. Whereas the narrow application, you may not actually explore the full space of possibility that might be a best fit for you. So there's downsides to both and upsides to both. I think the most important thing to do during the job search is basically to have a continued discipline and, and motivation. So do so. It, one way to do it really well is to do so, to have social pressure, like to, to have a small group of friends and do stand-ups with them and say what you did, what you plan to do, and then just like consistently meet up until you, you all get jobs. The other thing I think that people neglect to talk about is... That's the long longitudinal process. But what about during the day? Then what I call time slits, um, how you organize your time during, during your job search. I won't go too far into details just because I, I also don't expect you to face much of a trouble with this. In terms of like portfolio pieces and like proving yourself, this is Meko Okereke from Google. He's a very experienced hiring manager. And I think what he says here is very true. So you can, so going to quote verbatim. You can impress most hiring managers with only three contributions, something simple, just like one class, a single JS file, but just like show your best work. Something complete where you you show like all the other stuff, like tests, like architecture, docs, whatever. And then something with a story where you can actually stand out in terms of your personality or like something interesting that that sets you apart from from just a raw technical skill. And I have more stuff in this with regards to the hiring funnel. Let me know if you're interested in all this. I'm just going to skip past this because that's not the focus of this presentation. But, oh, I'm going to highlight this one. Might as well. Fitter is surprisingly central. It may not be for, for your cohort right now, but as far as I'm concerned, in all the developer circles I see, Twitter is very central. And if you can pitch yourself in two hundred and eighty characters, you get, to, you, you get to be spread by a lot of these other developers who are looking to elevate you as well. So that's very helpful for the job search again. Okay, so more interviewing resources. You don't need this, you don't need this. We're also, we, I also studied a bunch of junior to senior dev stuff, and that's, that's a whole chapter which I can get into. Again, like I don't, I'm not going to spend too much time here, but we can go into a Q&A if that's something that's of interest to you. I think the goal for you in particular is that you're getting a lot of explicit knowledge in your courses and that's stuff that people have written down, like books, talks, like stuff that people know that they know. And if they've taken time to share with you, but there's, especially now in, during your fellowship and in your projects and later on in your jobs, like you're going to be picking up a lot of tacit knowledge, the stuff that you only learn on the job because you have to live through it to, to, exp, to experience it. And that's actually the majority of like the software engineers value add, right? Like the stuff that's not in the book. And so I think. Anytime that you're, you have the ability to, to expand the, the possibility boundary of that space between explicit and tacit knowledge, that's a really good thing to actually start writing down. Whether it's for people who are, come, are coming in the cohort after you or just like your past self, that's always very helpful. And that's what, what I'm trying to do with this whole project, is, which is just to relay things that I've learned as a, I guess, now senior software engineer. So that 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 brings us uh, to to the principles, strategies, and tactics section. <laughs> Sorry, I'm rushing too much. To be honest, I should probably pace it a little bit. Okay, so why principles? I strongly recommend uh, checking out this this book by Ray Dalio. He runs his entire hedge fund based on principles, and it's this idea that uh, you should. It's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to make them repeatedly. Every time you like learn something fundamental about how the world works, how you work, how you prefer to work with the world, you should write it down and you should stack rank them so that whenever they come into conflicts, you have some way to resolve uh, conflicts or you you have some idea that these are two principles that are at odds and you need to Find some other unifying principle to to deal with all of them, so for me the one the one principle that i 'm most known for is to learn in public it 's this idea that most developers are trained from the beginning to to learn in private that everything that you retain you 're tested on you, you keep it to yourself and, and you're, the way that you get ahead in life is that you do it, you do that better than the people around you and it 's a very zero sum uh, view of things, and I think that if you open your mind up to the more growth mindset where you can share what you learn and you learn, you yourself learn faster uh, as a result of that because people get the chance to correct. You get to, you get to the chance to be wrong in public and, and you build your network at the same time. So that's a very short summary of what has become like a movement as far as developers are concerned. And you can check the essay out at 6.io/ slash LAP. But that's the core idea that I think, especially for you as students, you, you're going to start to transition. And when you transition from the, the sort of zero sum world of the college to to the more positive some world of i guess real world collaboration you'll see that they're, they're the, the kind of games that we play it's in real life are is, is very different from from the sort of academic competitions that they that you, that you might be used to it certainly was a, a, a huge learning for me and the other thing I guess that i that would that I would share with you is I used to be in finance and we so I worked in um, investment banking and hedge funds and the intellectual property that we had that I worked on—that was some of the, like the best work of my life. I I, I like I laid it all out um, at the hedge fund, and when I walked away from from finance, that stayed with them. Like that was property of the fund and, and never with me. And I'll never see it again. When I interviewed with other funds, I couldn't take that with me to interview with. So like, it was just, it just made it really a hard transfer experience. And, and that makes it really hard for you to scale. Whereas I think in tech, it's, we're fundamentally more open. Like we are allowed, we're, we're encouraged to share our learnings on, in blogs and conferences and even our failures as well. We also share our outages and our retrospectives on, of our failures. If we don't take advantage of the fundamentally more open nature of tech, then we're missing out on what's so great about this industry. So I I do tend to encourage people a lot to, to be more public about what they do. It's really good for compounding your skills and knowledge and network. So I include a bunch more principles. And again, we don't have, we don't have a, a lot of time to go into all of them. The other thing I think I do tend to encourage people on is to open source your knowledge. So basically, it's this idea that open source code has... Open source code didn't used to, to be the norm. It's this revolution now that most things that we use is now def- by default open source. And I think that's something that's, that's happened very successfully with code, but we haven't done that a lot with knowledge. Like the, the sort of architectural and principles and, and other less computer savvy skills, but the, the, the sort of more meta skills around our knowledge. One of the ways in which I exemplify this is my, my work with React and TypeScript. So I essentially run the community React and TypeScript docs. And that was mainly because react wasn't doing a good job of of documenting its interaction with typescript typescript was not doing a good job of uh, documenting react so i i came in and and did the intersection and i think what that experience taught me was that was that 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 became a community and a a repo of knowledge and that was more that compounded way better than a set of individual blog posts because that has like an individual like decay in terms of the value so it's just like You'd rather choose to have this one asset that you just compound in value over time rather than this this blog where you just have little bit little bits and, and pulses of, of value as you put out blog posts. And I think um, that comparison between open source knowledge that, that you have some sort of, like, you know, obviously, the most successful example is Wikipedia, that one spot where everyone just funnels in and contributes knowledge and builds up the best, example, best single example of one thing is actually more valuable than a series of one-off uh, events. So I think I've taken too many words to explain that, but I think that's the rough gist of it. So that's principles. Principles are things that you should always default to uh, in absence of anything else. But a lot of times uh, you also have to think about your, the, the strategy of like your learning your career and your technology. And those are the ways in which I, I want to encourage people to, to think more strate- strategically instead of following whatever preset plans that you see other people let you do. Like you need to take more ownership of your career, right? so in terms of learning strategy, I talk a little bit about this concept of learning gears, how you should behave differently based on the, the, the type of things that you're trying to learn. When you, the way that you learn when you don't know what you don't know is very different. That's your explorer gear. It's very different from the way that you learn when uh, you know things that others don't know. That's your teaching gear, your connector gear. Even, that's even more different from the way that you behave when you find something that is super important that you're obsessed by. And and no one else is working on it so you're diving deep into something that no one nobody else does and, it, and that's valuable so that's like your minor gear it's also i always think about it as your builder gear these are all just like different ways of different modes of learning but it gives you permission to behave differently so it's like a shorthand as far as you know people who do this are concerned to to convey like the kind of outputs and commitment level that they should be that they should be adopting so for example explorer like nobody really expects that much from explorers explorers are just putting out notes to themselves uh whereas minor are putting out infrastructure R&D communities and they build they build up things to last years and on the order of years and careers which is pretty I guess like a fundamental insight for people who, are, who have dabbled in all these things and they view them all, all as the same thing they're not they're, they, they really differ based on the kind of gear that you're into the other thing I think in terms of like people specializing a lot of people are debating this idea of specialist versus generalist. And everyone basically converges on this idea of a T-shaped model employee. This is from the Valve handbook. So if you see this a lot, that's where it actually comes from, the the makers of Half-Life. And I tend to not be very inspired by this basically because it's not useful. Like everyone is some form of T-shaped employee. So we're all specialists in some ways and generalists in others. And I think the more insightful thing is where to bet on, on technologies. So <clears throat> I don't have a slide here for that, but essentially we can get into that if you're interested in my thoughts on that. Career strategy. Did you know that a lot of companies actually pu- publish their career ladders in public? So what if you just went through and studied every career ladder out there? Uh, that's exactly what I did. So here's the, um, the spreadsheet. I might as well just share it with you because um, I'm not publishing this just yet. So uh, you're actually the first to, to see this because I figured why not? I'll just share it with you. What if we just went through and compiled every career ladder of every company? And we tried to see what was the similarities among the different levels. And you can see, you can start to plan out a roadmap for yourself in terms of your personal development. So that's essentially what we did over here in this, in this research project. And that's what I uh, wrote up in, in the chapter on career ladders. But it's, you can see how like, it's hard to put, in, in any concrete terms whatsoever, uh, some unified general theory of, career, of coding careers except when, you know, people actually specifically lay out their ladders. And you can do something like this, where you can just like normalize them across uh, all the different companies. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting exercise. And it definitely gives you a map of what your career could look like uh, over a super long term, like we're talking 10, 20 years. And so this is these are not the kind of conversations that you normally have, but I think it's worth having, right? So that's what you think about when you think it's start of thing strategically then the last bit of of strategy I also want to want people to think about the business of software like the business of tech how money is made from your tech and and that directly affects the, the the companies you choose to work at, the projects you choose to work at within a company, the technologies that you choose to bet on, the technologies you use day to day. These are all affected by tech strategy decisions. So we talk a little bit about the difference between horizontal versus vertical industries. Like all industries start vertical and then they horizontalize as they specialize. Um, then we talk about business models as well, like agencies, advertising, subscription. Basically, a lot of things start you know, vertical and then they split out. So here's the famous chart of how Craigslist is being split out into all these different small startups and all of them are worth like billions. We also talk about megatrends like gaming. So one of of the things that, I mean, you guys are are probably more aware to because you're in that demographic. Whereas I guess people in my generation and and older may not be that aware of the sheer explosion in terms of the the gaming industry is uh, unmatched compared to all the other media industries. And there are strong reasons for that. And I can go into, and I can go into why, but it's, if you view all these industries as the same, like working for Spotify and the same thing as working for uh, Tencent or what's the other gaming company that I'm, that I'm blanking on right now, whatever. <laughs> these industries are, are, are performing differently. And I think it's, it behooves you to bet strate- strategically based on the industry if you care about these things in terms of your own career. The other, the other thing I think to be aware of is this sort of tech adoption curves. So we talk a little bit about crossing the chasm, like the, those classics, but also the, the fact that technology adoption is accelerating. Like It took us this long to adopt a telephone, but now we're we're adopting technology at a much uh, faster rate in terms of your population percentages. So these are all very interesting ideas that, that people um, really talk about when it comes to strategy. And I'm not going to talk about this worldly mapping. Okay. And then last part is tactics. I think people are always interested in like small things that they can do to improve. So I collect, for example, this list of, of nice design tips. Developers are always in, interested in design tips. I'm not the best at design myself, but I think if I you know, spend like five minutes to like bump up the look of my thing, that increases the people who who, who will try my stuff out and their enjoyment of my products, then that will be that's actually a very um, high ROI activity to do. There's also this idea of like, there's also sort of workplace tactics that you can employ. So for example, when you're, when like you're, we're often told that knowledge is power but sometimes we can actually turn ignorance into power as well and that's a lot of what I call lab shading like uh, just call, like calling attention to your biggest weakness so that no one else can and then making that into a strength because of your position uh, your positional advantage for example if you're very junior or you're very senior you're allowed to not know things um, and I think that fundamental assumption helped me a lot in my first job uh, and then writing is a, a huge skill for just compounding your learning and your knowledge and your reach part of the reason I'm speaking to you today at all is because I wrote I've I've written a bunch of stuff and I think the way that people view writing is they don't take it very seriously Um, it is if you intend to be a knowledge worker at all you need to store your knowledge and you need to um, scale your knowledge and a lot of that takes place through writing because it's the most scalable medium compared to everything else so that's that's what we that's what we have in terms of like writing strategy. I can go into more detail about this as well, but I don't want to bombard you with too much. And then I think the last piece that I always touch on that, that strikes a chord of a lot of developers is that they need to market themselves. And it's very much, I think people are aware of the idea that if you build it, they may not come. Like a lot of developers have this idea that like, okay, whenever, whenever I do any project to do any startup, uh, I'm just going to do, do a bunch of code first and then at the end, I'm gonna poke out of poke out of my hole and, and just say, all right, it's done. And then you get crickets because no because nobody knows what you work on and you haven't spent any time on the marketing. So I think it's the same thing with regards to your own coding skills. If you just become the best coder that you can possibly be, but you would never spend any time on marketing yourself, no one's no one's gonna know how awesome you are. So you shouldn't you, you do owe it to yourself a little bit to to market yourself in public and at work as well. So that's and that's that. I also I, you know, I end the book with a coder for sustainable careers. So I I think a lot of, there's a lot of, I guess, developers struggle with burnout in our industry. And we need to have a way to pick up all these loose ends and, and of tie them together into something that that unifies the full stack of what we are from our, our personal selves to to the, to the other people's image of us. I think, you know, imagine and, and the way I'm pitch this is that we need to have an operating system that runs all these principles, strategies, and tactics. So these are all like applications of what we are. But even if we had the answer to everything, the reason that we don't actually benefit as much as others from them is because we don't have a system to implement them, to, to, make, them, to make that as effective as possible. So I, I actually end up with a little call to action to take care of the small things like, the health, like well, small but huge, health, um, your, your own personal scheduler, your, your internal motivation and drive. These are all important things that I think are essential. And I, I've given a separate talk on that. It's called the operating system of you. And I think we should all think about how we deal with unlimited applications, but limited resources. And that's essentially what operating systems do. And we, we, could, stu- we could take our learnings from how, you know, we, I think we've developed to a science how, how operating systems do that. We could take that learning and apply it on how we um, govern our own lives. And I think that that's a very interesting analogy that we can explore as well. And I've been talking nonstop for half an hour, uh, but that's the idea. Uh, that's the book site. If you want to go uh, check it out, there's four free chapters on there that give you more of a sense. But I'm not here to sell the book. I'm here to have a real chat with you on whatever topic you want. My time is yours. And yeah, I'm happy to take questions. Yeah, so let's see, Cathal, Cathal. If you've worked with junior developers, what's the biggest mistake you see them making and how would you go about solving it if you're in their shoes? Yeah, um, so biggest mistake I think is pretending, is feeling like you have to pretend no more than you do. It's just kind of the idea of lampshading, <clears throat> which is the sense of, you no, know, you're a junior developer, you want to show that you have value and you are competent. So when people ask you to do stuff or, or if if people ask you that, whether you understand stuff, you say that you do that actually, like people will take you at your word and they'll trust that you know what you're talking about. And if you, if it turns out that you don't, or you, it turns out that you're missing knowledge in some way, there's two things that happen. Like one is you, you miss out on the teaching opportunity. Like People teaching you things that you already know. That's actually not the worst thing in the world. Uh, But it's probably true that they'll teach you something that you don't know or they present it to you in a new light. That's that's a very valuable sort of... experience to have. And then the other thing is that you lose trust if you start to present yourself as more competent than than you are. Um, I think it's, it's better to be to lampshade your vulnerability and say like I have some awareness of this, but it's only theoretical. I haven't really worked with it in production. Like can you walk me through uh, this the this stuff that, you know, I should know. And just being humble enough to to admit that like that you no know, you're you don't know everything is a very good learning strategy in general, but especially for junior engineers, because they hired you knowing that, like you're not at risk. And I think people feel very vulnerable, especially when they start out, but that is when you're the most invulnerable because it's their job to that the responsibility on. So make the most of it because you don't get much of a shot afterwards. I don't get much of a shot for that these days. Uh, Pravanshu Atri, it's an amazing analogy. Okay. Yeah, totally. Right. Like, Everything that we apply in terms like machine learning all the way down to operating systems, these are general rules that, that we've systematized and we have the algorithms, we have the source code. That's amazing compared to the fuzziness of the human world. And I think uh, if we can take those general rules and apply it to, to our world, I think those are just generally very uh, interesting insights because those are clean systems and then, and then we we'll apply them down to the, the messy systems that we are. Okay, what should be the aim when job hunting big companies or startups? Ah, that's up to you. So I, I have, I actually have three categories when I talk about the job hunting section, big companies, startups, and agencies. Um, obviously, I think I, I do, I do agree that agencies tend to be the most challenging, but these are all, these are all good starting points. I've seen people be extremely successful all of that. Personally, I have a preference for big codes. So uh, for me, it was, it was down to Google or, or Two Sigma when I had my first job and Two Sigma just made a better offer. Big companies give, generally tend to have a better junior training program and they have a brand name, which makes your subsequent hires, your subsequent job moves easier, uh, whereas startups and, and agencies don't have that cachet with them. Although they may give you more generalist learning opportunities because you have more responsibility. Big codes have the downside of yeah, they may pay well, they may have better resources, but then you might be a cog in the wheel and not do very much, um, which is a risk. Okay. So... If you had the knowledge you have today back when you started, what would you have focused on getting better at first? Oh, wow. I got to think on that one. Holy crap. Getting better. I think, hmm, I think getting better at shipping projects. I'm not very good at, I'm, like, I'll, I'll straight up admit that I'm not very good at shipping projects from end to end. Like I can do, I can take down a Jira ticket and you know, knock out an issue. And that's like a one day to one week affair. But to work on something for like three months and be responsible for the entire stack from Hello World all the way to the market, marketing and taking payments and customer support. That's something that I've only done once uh, in my life, like right now. And I learned so much during that process that I think I wish I did a lot more of that, like shipping side projects a lot more. That's something that I've done a little bit of in in terms of, I think one way to level up is to clone open source apps. and mainly that's because uh, you get a chance to compare your implementation with other people's implementation. Um, and also you might get the, the maintainers of those applications to review your work, which they have for me. Uh, and that's free learning. And I think I didn't really get that until I tried it a couple of times. It's a lot of work, but I would definitely, you know, if I had more time, I'd do it. Lucy Lowe. Can you expand more on the differences between being a junior software engineer in finance, Two Sigma versus tech? Okay, so just to be clear, I was in finance in in different companies. When I was in Two Sigma, I was a software engineer. But when I was in finance, I was a trader, I was an investment banker. Well, trader, and analyst. Junior software engineer in finance versus tech. Yeah, I I don't know how to talk about this one. So it's too general for me to give you a good answer. Like FANG itself is a massive freaking category, right? You've got Facebook on one end and you've got AWS on the other end, and they have very different audiences. So, FANG itself is too huge to generalize, and it's just not a question so uh, don't spend too much time thinking about that since you came from finance how do you find breaking into the tech if you don't have context do you have any advice in terms of contacting real people or companies to show yourself in the best light possible i'm not sure cold calling recruitment email addresses would be the best thing to do actually that can help uh, cold calling let me show you this cold email that i found from the other from the other day cold email cold emailing this guy directly cold email oh god This guy directly cold emailed Evan Spiegel, the the CEO of Snapchat, and he just made it right to the point. So I'm going to call this cold email, textbook cold email. So that's, check that out for cold email. I mean, I I don't have a lot of advice on on that front because uh, I got lucky. I did a bootcamp in New York and at the end of the bootcamp, they have a hiring day. And the first person I sat down with on hiring day, that was the first, that, that was the Two Sigma, my, my hiring manager Two Sigma. And it turned out that I got the job with her after two months of <laughs> back and forth. But we we all have different stories breaking into tech. Mine was just a, a straight up career, career transition through a camp. So we all have different stories. And I think networking is always a great way, but like, as long as you can pitch yourself in some unique way that makes you stand out, I think that gets you in front of the door faster than other people. We are in a very weird time right now where there have been a lot of layoffs. And so there's a lot of senior software engineer talent from places like uh, Airbnb and Uber that will crowd out some of the more senior level positions. But I don't think you should be that worried for where you are at. And the other thing you should always be aware of is that the general demand for software in the past three to four months has doubled in in every category from e-commerce to social networking to, to sort of office. Software, I don't know what you call it, but so there is a huge demand for software engineers. You're in a great time to be in, in software, stick it out. Okay, this watch it. How easy or hard is it to change your field? Saying so you're inclined towards both core AI and software development, in three or four years down the line, you just decide to jump from one field to the other. I don't know anything about AI, so I'm, I'm not going to comment about that. Uh, I think, just as a general software engineer, you have a very flexible skill set, and that's a blessing compared to um, other industries like iFriends were lawyers and doctors and they're not as transferable as we are so it's it's good it's easy let's say that Arsalan do you prefer crash courses over official documentation to quickly catch up yeah so this is something i have a strong opinion on so think about think about levels of learning a very simple sort of tiers of learning is like three tiers like beginner intermediate and advanced okay beginners need the quickest way to get from to get to hello world right like to get from zero to to something productive advanced people only need the diffs right i know what i know i know the state of the art just let me know what's changed the intermediate people are the people who actually need to fill in all the gaps and they don't like they may feel too confident they may feel they may they may just like not know everything that, that that they should know, so you take a crash course if you 're a beginner, but you take the official documentation or the source code if you're intermediate and I always encourage people if you want to go if you want to really level up do like do the hard work of like read technical books from cover to cover and look out for the stuff that isn't covered that much and people are like not even really willing to talk about that much because it's an unresolved issue that's where you actually find the most opportunity for uh growth and deep investigation yeah what do you think about product management and how would a graduate set a career path aim towards that yeah so i actually have a chapter on um beyond your coding career so Something that maybe is not so obvious is that a lot of people actually graduate from coding to non-coding. And whether that's engineering management or product management or being a founder or being an instructor or whatever, these are all these are all interesting career paths. Product management, so I think something on the order of 60% of PMs are former software engineers. So you're actually, you're actually well-served if you are a software engineer, quite well of it at well-run companies and I think quite poorly of product management at shitty companies, mainly because I was at a startup that had PMs where the the PMs were basically glorified project managers. So part of product management is also project management where you're corralling software engineers to fit towards some kind of business goals and a lot of times if you're not really, if you're if your software teams are not really gelling or working well with you, then you're just scheduling weekly updates, asking if, if they're delivering there or not. Or if you're not being empowered by your upper management, um, then you're just executing on someone else's vision and you're not really being CEO of the product, which is a, the selling point of product management. And the, the other thing I think it's, is the problem with product management is that you're given, it's what they call, you're given all the risk all of the responsibility but none of the authority which means that nobody reports to you but you have to but you're responsible for the pnl um and you have to wrangle by charm or begging other departments to work with you to to deliver some shared goals so there's a lot of like i guess political (laughs) navigation that they may need to do that's like the cynical view or you might you you might view that as like the buck stops with you in, in terms of like where where this sort of product or business unit goes and you need to be able to be able to work with senior engineers and and other senior engineers marketing design whatever to to deliver something that users will love so product management is like a very multidisciplinary thing but you're going to be well served if you start off on the software side of things how would a graduate set a career path aim towards that like study strategy study tech strategy the stuff that i covered very briefly in terms of business models of tech what's horizontal versus vertical stuff like that i can give you a lot more resources just Email me. I'm just typing my email over here because I, I care a lot about strategy as well. So just email me a, more questions about product management and I'll set you on the right path in terms of links and resources. Delivering projects early versus enfor- enforcing quality. Which one do you prefer? Does AWS have a priority among them? So I'm only two months into AWS, so I don't really have a good sense. The real trade-offs, I know what they, t- they say, but always, I'm always mindful of the difference between what people say they do and what they actually do. What they actually do, what, what they say they do, is that there is a high level of quality enforcement. So this goes down all the way down to to docs, to tests, to thinking about the different edge cases. And because AWS has a million products, a lot of that is the combinatorics of like, I want to ship this new feature, but how is that going to work with these other 100 different features as well? So to me, that's high quality, that you have to think about all these use cases. The other thing about high quality is that once you ship something, you have to maintain it. AWS never deprecates anything. So that's the other thing that you got to think about forward, Compatibility as well. I prefer delivering early and often, but then iterating continuously. So I don't think that's like a strict trade-off. Like either early or it's good. You can deliver early and then iterate until it's good. So it's really up to you. I use Jane. What's the best or correct way of approaching a recruiter slash employee to get a referral? Ha. Mm. So. This used to be easier in the days before COVID <laughs> where you could actually ask someone to to have a coffee or take a walk with you. I, in New York, it's really nice to ask people out for walks because then you're not sitting all the time you're actually uh, out and about and enjoying uh, the outdoors especially now during COVID it's a little bit harder sometimes you might just need to schedule a zoom chat uh, and, and it might just be a half an hour like tell me about what you do all like you know your day in the life and like how the company works and all that I, I actually tend to encourage people to not to get not to be too zeroed in on this referral because they're going to offer it to you most like it's it, doesn't cost us anything, and and so the the, the referrals the easy part. The the difficult part is really understanding what they do, so that you have good answers when you go through the interview process and when you have to decide on which job to take. And yeah, like referrals don't cost anything. Like everyone, everyone, everyone can refer uh, pretty easily. So that's not the that's not the issue. The issue is really understanding on the on the fundamental level what they do and figuring out whether that's something that you want to work on. Timur. Aldridge, when hiring someone and looking at OSS contributions, how would you rate, compare different projects? Are more well-known projects considered more highly? Or does it depend on how technically sophisticated the project is or it makes different factors? Wow. Big questions. So at a very simple level, if it's a project that the company already uses or I already use, then I'm going to rate that more just because I'm more familiar with it and it's almost like a gratefulness thing. Like, thank you for working on something that I use. And I've seen this. I have a quote from, from uh, Josh Goldberg at Teachable who says that any, like, anyone who's contributed to, in a non-trivial way to a project that they use at work gets an interview from him. And uh, yeah, it's just something that people don't exploit enough. Well, first of all, it's not easy to contribute to something like a Webpack or, or TypeScript. But if you do it, it's not that hard. It's not easy. It's not hard. It's just not trivial. Okay. And, but if you do it, then that stands very well with, with people when hiring OSS contributions, but at the same time, it's something that you have to surface during your cover letter or your resume, because I am not going to go through your GitHub and dig through every contribution of yours. Like you have to tell me. So just be aware of that. Like nobody has time to dig through your GitHub. No one's paying attention that that much. Just like the other guy said from Google, just have three, just have a a perfect thing, a good thing, uh, like a complete thing. And then one with a story. And I think that's a good sort of spanning minimum spanning tree is that is that a tree or whatever minimum minimum spanning set of of achievements and and if it's open source that they use then it's that's even better big like so i when my first sort of big open source contribution was react and and that's impressive but at the same time, it takes a long while. And actually, you know, the React maintainers now say like, don't do that, go contribute to the smaller open source project that actually need help rather than piling in on the big one that everyone wants to help in on. And yeah, so it's up to you what strategy you wanna pursue, but definitely open source is a, is a good hiring approach method. Prabanshu, Shu, would you deliver a feature with hacking implementation or delay in order to achieve quality? Yeah, I just said that, like, yeah. Make it work, then make it right, then make it fast, right, in that order. Again. What's the benefit of a random employee spending the time on you for a referral or talk about their job? I feel like it's one-sided for the student. Like I'm a, yeah, I'm a random employee and I'm spending my time with you. I'm paying it forward. I hope that you will do this for people in the future because I care about new people coming into our industry. I care about people having healthy approaches to their career. There's a lot of hustle in, in our career that, that causes burnout. There's a lot of bad advice out there. So I'm, I'm trying to do my bit. So I don't know, it's, it's just more like, sometimes you want to have a nice conversation with people who are eager uh, about your work. Sometimes you may, you may feel a little bit like too in the weeds with people who have so much context every day. And sometimes you might just have like a nice one-off conversation with someone who's super interested in everything you say, and it's very flattering. So yeah, it's not too hard to make that justification. Yeah, I think that's it for questions. Yeah, and say, is there any additional questions? Um, we still have about five or so minutes. Perfect. There we go. Some more coming in. I know it's super interesting. I mean, feel free to like, I don't know, unmute and, and ask this yourself because I'm reading both sides. How do you ask developers for conversations about their job or guidance? Just straight email. <laughs> Email's good. Like if you know them, if you like know them by like a friend of a friend, then yeah, do that. But if not, just go email or Twitter. Like you like be prepared to get ignored. I'm not saying you won't get ignored, but like it, that is the best way. And also like be able to pitch yourself, like refer to that cold email person, but then also there's Veni Kunche, that, that person. So like be able to pitch yourself in a very short form, right? Like what you want and like who you are, what you want and how they can help you, right? Like uh, the more specific you're asked, the, the better it is for people to help you. So let me try to pass this along to you. Veni Kunche, uh, tip, stand alone. Give me one second, I'm going to, I'm going to pass you this. So you can pitch yourself. So pitch yourself. There you go. Okay. Kartik. How do I approach about the referral at the end of the conversation though? Like, hey, we talked and stuff. Now give job. It, it most just mention the word referral some, somewhere in your conversation and they'll pick up on that. If they don't want to refer you, then they won't offer. And you can take that hint and just uh, that conversation probably didn't go that well. Otherwise, like, yeah, like, but well, like, it, it, again, it's, it, Sometimes, so it's, so yeah. So first of all, just like make sure you mention referral at somewhere in the conversation and they'll pick up a, that that you're also trying to get a referral. But like, again, like that's not the sole purpose of the conversation, right? You genuinely want to learn and you genuinely want to have fuel for future conversations. Like one other really good thing to get out of, like even if you do not get a referral, one other really good question that you can ask at the end of a conversation like that is who else should I talk to and have them refer you to their other friends or, people who are a better fit to talk to you to talk to your interests and mining the social graph rather than just getting uh that system referral because that's that's a, that's one referral but like having more people actually speak up for you that's also uh very valuable a use jane do you prepare for data structure and algorithms for job interviews is there a fun way for that i don't know if there's a fun way you can gamify it with with points and stuff i was a Friend slash beta tester of algoexpert.io before they were famous, and that has like a nice completion system, which is nice. So, I mean, long story short, I did. I spent two to three hours a day on that, and I'll be honest, like I only used it at my Google interviews. Um, every other interview, every other job that I interviewed at didn't really use traditional algos and data structures. They they still had technical interviews, but it wasn't like write min heap or something. It wasn't that sort of classical textbook algorithm stuff it was just more applied onto specific problems so fun way for that not really just know that uh, you are actually going to have some points in your career where you actually use this knowledge it's not just for interviews and that day will come and you'll be thankful that you studied this stuff and to me that makes it fun nice pizza what do you think about referrals what does that mean nice pizza yeah sure okay yeah mentioning referrals got it yeah cool yeah that's uh, i think that's that for my answers look like I, i'm not i don't know if i have the best answers but feel free to have that conversation with me like email me i'm happy to you know answer I, I may not answer right away and i tend to try to answer in public so that my answer with you can be shared with other people who have the same question but i strongly believe that i think we need to have more conversations like this from people who've are a few years into their process to people just starting out so that's why i'm here Thanks, Leah. Bye. Thanks for having me. Have a nice day.